gamers, I'm Tori Dominguez-Peak. And I'm Noah Hertz. And welcome to Press Start. It's a video game podcast. Yeah, it's a video game podcast where we usually talk about playing video games, but this time we're actually going to talk a little bit about making them. Oh. Um, we have back on the show a former guest and friend of the pod, Alana Oaken. It's been a while since she's last come on, but she has some really cool stuff to share with us. And we're just going to run down some latest gaming news and what we've been playing. Yeah. Thanks for Hell coming yeah. back to the show, Alana. Thank you guys so much for having me. I am very, very stoked to be back and to talk about all the stuff we're going to talk about today. Yeah. yeah. Usually when we have guests on the show, we go through their entire biography and their CVs and all this stuff. But we've had you on the show before. People can go back and find when we did that. I think instead it seemed like the right move was to go over a couple items of gaming news because <clears> it was a heck of a week. So, uh, Tori, what's going on in the gaming news world? Um, well, there's been a lot of, like, JRPG discourse, <laughs> like, yeah. not in a good way. <laughs> um, I don't think it's ever written in a good way. But, uh, The Verge did an interview with producer of Final Fantasy XVI, uh, Yoshi P, and, uh, it was a very interesting article, um, but one of the things that has been, like, causing the discourse is that he said that it's basically time to retire the term JRPG, as a genre marker, he said that the term was made up by Western media and that it used to be used like in a very pejorative, like, uh, this game is so Japanese way, yeah. um, which like fair. Um, yeah. And like the tropes about it being turn based, it being it like anime inspired, the story taking place in high school, um, <laughs> et cetera. Wow, this guy's like really shitting on Persona on main. Um, <laughs> you just say it. <laughs> The especially interesting thing about this was that so this is part of like the the media junket for the latest news about Final Fantasy 16. So Naoki Yoshida gave interviews to like a million different outlets. And this came out in his interview that he did with the YouTube channel Skill Up. And it's really funny. I'll link the video in the description. I watched it. It's like a 30 minute video where the guy who runs Skill Up talks about like his experience playing the Final Fantasy demo and then his experience talking to Yoshi P. And he says something like, I got to play the new Final Fantasy demo and I offended the producer, which is a low point in my career. But I um, <laughs> I think whether that was a bad moment for that dude in particular, I think it was like a really interesting thing to bring up. Like, especially I know we're all we're all JRPG fans here, mm -hmm. but there definitely is like this is a this is a tweet I saw earlier this week from the editor-in-chief over at Uppercut Crit, Ty Gallas-Rowe, and they said, I just feel like it doesn't take a rocket scientist to see the racist implications of specifying an entire genre of game by where it's from. And yeah. it's like, yeah. Fair. Yeah, yeah <laughs> right? Fair. I can't argue that. I, yeah. <laughs> I was thinking about this earlier because I remember um, when Elden Ring first came out, it was my first Soulsborne game, so I was like reading all of the shit that you could possibly read about it. And I remember some outlets describing Elden Ring as a JRPG and being like, <laughs> man, that's not right. I don't know why that's not right, but, like, that's not right. And, like, geographically, I guess that's right, but, like, it's not turn-based. Turn right, like, you're role-playing. Right, no, yeah. I, I think but, that actually kind of is, to me, the, like, no, and, and I think that these are all, like, excellent points that are being raised. And, and And sort of what's interesting is, like, 
I feel like I kind of just learned about genres pretty recently and sort of like, mm-hmm. yeah. what is a roguelike versus a roguelite? You know, what what distinguishes a JRPG besides the fact of it being from Japan from an yeah. RPG? And, uh, you know, obviously that's a freighted sort of question. But like, it, it also kind of begs the question of like, why do we have genres in the first place? And sort of like, yeah. what what is gained by sort of classifying games yeah. in this way? Like a, a, a lot of things, like obviously like, I have found a lot of my favorite games like explicitly because they are like other games that I've played. And so it's useful to have like a taxonomy and, you know, sort of a way of talking about that. But by the same token, that's obviously quite limiting and can sort of, I think, and can become just sort of like a marketing term beyond anything else. And I think that like that is an interesting question to me, too, is sort of like, why do we need genres in the first place? Like what is sort of the effectiveness? Yeah, yeah, I was thinking about when I was playing Fire Emblem Three Houses last fall. Go I off. was playing it, and <laughs> I started being like, damn, this is like a JRPG. But, like, it's not. It's a strategy RPG. Right, like, yeah. it, right. there's a grid. But then, like, you have these, like, dating sim things, and, like, it is turn-based, but in a strategy way. Mm-hmm. But it had, like, a lot of anime tropes, and it uh, it made me just think about, like, well, is it, like, where where is the line blur between, like, JRPG an SRPG. Um, and yeah, I think I think genres are kind of dumb when it comes to this sort of thing. <laughs> but I, I do think it's uh, interesting that he brought it up. The other thing that he brought up was the like uh, discussion around diversity in this game. It kind of went with the whole, like, this game's got to be historical, so it's got to have white people <laughs> maneuver, even though there's, like, chocobos. But anyway, um, there is yeah, one part... Really- <laughs> No, sorry. I, I just want to read this statement. This this comes from the interview with The Verge when uh, Ash Parrish, who's a really great reporter over at The Verge, was talking to him about this. And they raised the question that was like, we've seen a lot of trailers for this game. So far, it looks like most of the people are white. I mean, like Final Fantasy is, has a pretty, I would say, fraught history with its portrayal of characters who are non-white. Which is to say they're either not in the game or they're like original Final Fantasy VII Barrett, which has Ugh. has some stuff. I mean, but uh, there's this quote from the, the the translator gave back when they were asked. And the translator said uh, that they were trying to adhere to fantasy, quote, inspired by medieval Europe incorporating historical, cultural, political, and anthropological standards that were prevalent at the time. It's like, this is a game about fucking magic crystals. What right, the fuck right. are you like, talking about? You mean about? such as Chocobos? <laughs> like, right. What the yeah, fuck are the you talking about? The other thing is, like, there's a part of this game that's supposed to take place in the desert, and the shots of it, there's, like, domed structures. It straight up looks like, like a historical shot of, like, Jerusalem or something. Yeah. And you look at it, there's, like, camels and shit. People are wearing, like, I don't like traditional desert outfits, but, like, everyone's white. And I'm just like, this yeah. does not sit well with me. Um, I don't know. It was just, it's very strange vibes. Um, also, I don't know. There's just, I, I just did not like this at all. But, I mean, I will play this game. Um, yeah, just, I, I was curious what our what our general thoughts were among the three of us about Final Fantasy 16. Like, do we give a shit? Are we going to play it? Or? Yeah, I'll play I, I have it. to tell you guys, I've never played a Final Fantasy game. It's it's like really? a huge, huge blind spot for me. Yeah, I, I've always wanted to. And like, you know, my partner played uh, Final Fantasy 7 uh, remake and like mm-hmm. really enjoyed it. And, you know, like I thought it looked cool and, it, you know, gave me enough context to like know what you mean, even about the remake of Barrett. And, you know, yeah. I, I think that there's obviously a lot to say there. Um, but no, I've, I've always been kind of trying to figure out like when is my right time to play and sort of what's my proper entry point to this I feel series like so it, oh, that's I, interesting. Yeah, maybe, no maybe you 
be like different for me here, but I feel like Alana would really like like the pixel Final Fantasies, like the mm, earlier yeah, ones. You would probably really get into the um. Word. Let's see, because there's the on Steam. There's the pixel remasters they've released right, right. of one through six, and then there's also if you're looking to play it on a different device, pretty good GBA ports of uh four, five, and six. And oh, I would word. say like if you're going into it wanting like a compelling story. You can't you can't really go wrong with four and six. Those are both like really, yeah, really that great seems games. to be like a consensus. OK, cool. Yeah. yeah. A lot of people have recommended four in particular. I will. I will second that or third that, depending on how many people have told you that. <laughs> I think four is really great. Four is really no, great. That's great. And I think, yeah, I think I do want to play on like Steam Deck or my Vita or something, mm-hmm. or, you know, in a totally above oh. board sort of way. <laughs> if you're going to play on your Vita, there is a port slash i don't want to say remake but it's like a it's a weird Mm. gray area for a port because there was additional content that was added of final fantasy 4 that was put out on the psp and that has like really pretty redone sprites and then there's also i've never played it but i know there's a chunk that came out special for that release that takes place after the events of the story so this is Mm. like a super nintendo game that they've added new story content to where they like follow up on some of the characters after the release of the game and there's some discussion about like whether that or the DS port that gave it like bravely default style graphics mm-hmm, is like mm-hmm. the the best version of four to play. But I hear a lot of people say the PSP version is like no, the no, no, place that's to a good go. Tip. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you want to if you want to talk about like I want to say modern because they're like from the '90s, but like uh, 3D, I guess mm-hmm. Final Fantasy games are iconic. Like obviously seven, but the other one that I always hear people bring up is ten. Yeah, yeah and, 10 seems to be the other one. And too. 10 has like a really great port. Oh, 10 has a remastered port uh, mm-hmm. on the Switch. That's mm-hmm. right, yeah. Because yeah. I think it's just the, I think they just ported the 3D, the PS3 remaster over yeah. to Switch and PS4 yeah. and, and stuff. It runs, yeah, it runs well from what I've seen. I've almost bought that game like five times. Um, it's one of those <laughs> like, I always see it and games up and I'm like, will I, won't I? Thank you so much for your recommendations. You can resume your actual question now. <laughs> no, yeah, okay. So, Tori, Final Fantasy 16. Do you give a shit? Or are you going to play it? Yeah, I give a shit. I, I'm yeah. going to play it. It is the, like, first... Uh, not the first, but it's definitely one of, like, the first big PS5 exclusive games. Like, yeah. I'm sorry, Noah. Mm. Don't be left out of this one. <laughs> it's fine. I'll live. I still haven't played Final Fantasy 15, and so I, I really, I've heard that one's like, all right. I don't know. It's like, I don't know. It was, it's weird. It's weird vibes, but some people like it. Some people don't. I want to pivot from talking about one RPG series to another. Did we see that Pokemon Sleep finally got re-announced? <laughs> I did not, I did. but I'm really thrilled to hear that. I've, I, I've heard whispers. Yeah, I, I saw this today because Noah sent it to me, and I'm just very excited <laughs> about the fact that you could unlock more sleeping styles yes. the more you sleep. Um, and that, like, I just want to list some. Uh, yeah. Goofy sleep. <laughs> one-eyed sleep. I I really fuck with these in let me, let me break this down. Alana, let me give you some context here. So yeah. yeah, yeah. Earlier this week, there was one of the Pokemon-specific Nintendo Directs. Right, Pokemon Day or whatever, right? Yeah, because yeah. it, it yeah. was Pokemon Day, that's right. The Pokemon Directs are potentially even more hit or miss than the actual Nintendo Directs mm. are. Oh my god. Because sometimes, <laughs> sometimes they'll have whole Pokemon Directs devoted to like just mobile games. And they'll be like, thanks for coming in, here's the update on Pokemon Cafe Mix, that's it. And it's like, <laughs> alright guys, thanks. So this one... They re-showed off Pokemon Sleep, a game that was announced literally years ago, and they have right, not mentioned right. since. 
Pokemon Sleep is those sleep tracker apps that you just like download mm-hmm. on your phone or like the Fitbits have these too. Like you just put your phone near you and then you wake up in the morning and it's like, hey, you were in REM sleep right, right. for 90 minutes and then you woke up this time, except depending on your sleep, you're going to catch Pokemon when you wake up. No, I That's know. I'm very page. excited for this. And it's like, <laughs> it actually in some ways seemed like sort of the next, like, kind of revolutionary, you know, quotidian habit to gamify where it's like, yeah. oh, they already did it with walking and being outside, That's true. you know, yeah. like, t- like sort of two of the things that we have like accepted are pretty essential to being human. Like, what's another? <laughs> so I see yeah. in, the, in the Google Doc, Noah has listed what's next, Pokemon taxes. Honestly, and I, I was thinking that. about this about like what like does your income bracket correlate to certain types of Pokemon? I do think Meowth yeah. would commit fraud. Oh yeah, um, straight up. Poor so. people can only catch uh, shitty Rattatas and Pidgeys and stuff. Oh and when god. you make when you make more money, you get into a better bracket of available Pokemon. Oh my god! Yeah, that's, Jesus. Yeah, I'll you be get- honest though. Tax filing season is a fucking nightmare. I would love if I could have like Pikachu there in like the free right, like tax little USA incentives. Thing. Yeah, that would be so yeah, right? nice. Um, I it would like help guide me as I go along. I just actually went through like the tax nightmare of like a getting married and b becoming self-employed and i'm like damn mm-hmm. that's a nightmare um yeah but we we chugged through it it's fine but it would be nice <laughs> if i i saw like an encouraging pikachu like at the end you know <laughs> it's funny because i've actually i've done a number of those like like habit tracking apps that try to gamify it basically like there's yeah. even one that i quite i think is quite literally called like rpg your life or something you know I've like, seen those, i'm yeah. always just kind of yeah and like i'm always vaguely interested in it as someone who like you know I, I don't like to be too extreme about it but like i like to like count my steps and log the books i read and like just sort of have an accounting of sort of just like the, yeah, the data too. of my life i suppose and like but for for whatever reason none of those have ever really worked for me like i you know i, I in fact i actually find that the most effective methods have been like really boring kind of almost like to-do list style you know like do this every day and I've kind of wondered about that like why is that that it's actually been so hard to kind of bridge the gap between like the gamification of real life and quite literally games and 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 why was Pokemon Go so successful at that like like how did it marry those elements just so perfectly and I I mean you know maybe because it's Nintendo and they're very good at this kind of thing maybe the answer is just Pikachu needs to be there to make it incentive literally literally. (laughs) maybe it's also just like people like to collect a lot of shit like if you allow them to do so they will that's true yeah. Uh, the other notable thing from this Pokemon Direct was that they did show off DLC for Scarlet and Violet, but I just kind of brushed over that. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm kind of interested in this. Like the teal mask and indigo disc. It like it looks really cute. It's like it's set in the Japanese countryside, which is interesting. Mm. A departure from the Paul Day region. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also a Pokemon called Okie Dogie, and <laughs> uh, I saw one article described it as Okie Dogie is a bipedal. An extremely buff dog. Um, which I love sounds, that. I love that. I would. I want Furry him. adjacent. <laughs> yeah. Oh god, no. He is though. He is though. He is um, though. I. I don't know. It just. I. I played Violet. I really enjoyed it. Um. Mm-hmm. But the performance issues were were pretty yikes. Mm-hmm. Including, yeah. uh, I had a couple boss fights that the game just froze and completely shut down in the middle Ugh. of, and. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like they should concentrate more on that than two DLCs. I don't know. Dude, mm. seriously. I, I actually haven't. I, I have a copy of Violet that my brother gave me for the holidays, and I'm, I'm excited to play it still, but like, 
you know, I, I got pretty swept up in like engaged yeah, and I'm, stuff. And I'm whatever. sorry, I'm like nagging yeah. no, this game for you. No, 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 but... no. But but Tori, no, I think what you're saying is is something I've heard echoed from everyone, and it's honestly part of the reason that I wasn't so quick to dive into this is that when I, I you know I really liked a lot of parts of Pokemon Legends Arceus. And I found the performance issues to be like kind of almost like made it unplayable to me in certain parts. And I had similar times when I got like kicked out of boss battles there. And I think it sort of burned me so much that combined with the fact that I've been doing so much on like the Steam Deck and with my Vita and these like these systems that just like straight up don't do that to me for whatever reason. Yeah. And the Switch does. Yeah. And like maybe it's also because I have a Switch from 2017, like the first okay, ever yeah. Switch. I, but, also, like, I also got a Switch yeah. like the week after it came out and like, yeah, it's... Uh... Yeah. <laughs> so I'm, I'm wondering too if it's to do with that, but but no matter what, it's kind of all added up to like, I didn't used to think of Pokemon as like a faulty franchise and now I'm just yeah. a little bit gun shy in a way that's like, oh, this is weird. You're like the most successful IP on the planet. Like that shouldn't happen. Yeah, no, it's, it it's really frustrating that the most successful IP on the planet can coast on that success and know that they're gonna at least break even because people love these little freaks, but like <laughs> not, but adhere to such a strict development cycle that they can't put out a game that like functions right. on the console. It's like, no, and that, yeah. that's so true, Noah, too, where it's like, I, I don't want to sound like, you know, a toxic Pokemon fan who's just like, <laughs> rah, rah, like those greedy devs, like it's nothing like that. It's actually yeah. more like, please take another year or two between exactly, games and exactly. like yeah. allow yourselves to catch up. Like oh, maybe have it come out on whatever version of the Switch comes next. Like I would be so, so fine as a fan and in fact would prefer it to like have it bake more. But I, you know, I, I guess once you're that successful, you just like don't slow down the train. But yeah. I don't know. It's, it's It's been a bit of a bummer to like watch this thing I love feel like it's just kind of like, I don't know, just like inflation has affected Pokemon. It feels like every year it's sort of, <laughs> It's like a little bit more effort for a little less return on investment. I feel like if we're going to get like Tears of the Kingdom prizes for Pokemon games, they're just going to get like progressively less functional. Like we're just going to like five years from now, we're going to start playing $80 for Pokemon games that don't function. Barely work. No, exactly. It's just, again, it's like, it's more a priorities thing to me than than anything else. Like where it's just, I I want games that work and like, I'm not very picky beyond that. Like, I don't yeah, care about exactly. frame rate or whatever. Yeah. I have another item here. This one is not about an RPG series, but it is about questionable game dev practices. This is news that broke a few days ago, thanks to some reporting from the website thegamer.com. This seems like it's a bit of a moving target, so by the time this episode comes out, there might have been a little bit of an update, and if there was, I will, like, throw myself in here later, but... It seems like EA went ahead and just laid off around 200 plus people who were doing uh, QA for Apex Legends, like a very successful battle royale game. They laid off 200 people. And so when I initially saw this news, my thought was, okay, is Apex Legends like throwing in the towel and just admitting that Fortnite is the game that people are going to play forever and giving up? But it sounds like more so what it is based on conversations that this reporter had with some of the people who were fired, is that the QA team that was in-house at EA had been working to train up a QA team that was based in the UK, and then it has become increasingly sounding to them like the people they were training were their replacements. So the in-house team Uh. got fired, and then the UK team got brought in, and then EA put out some kind of statement that was like, oh, we're trying to hire globally and try to be da 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 So, yeah, it, uh, I don't know. It 
this at least doesn't reek of like anti-union stuff, but it does kind of make you wonder, like, I don't know, QA is where a lot of the unionizing has been happening. That's true. Why There's these people specifically around like, that in the past year. Yeah. Um, it just sucks. I don't know. Yeah, it sucks. And also, it just seems like there's been a lot going on with Apex, with Apex Legends in particular. Mm-hmm. Like, they had, like, a solo... They had a single-player Apex Legends game mm-hmm. that got, like, completely canned. Yeah. Um, And so I just think there's... It's just been kind of, like, volatile over there. Yeah. It, uh, well, it kind of makes me think, too, of the way a lot... There have been reports out of Activision Blizzard of smaller dev teams basically being converted into either QA or development just for Call of Duty. And it's kind of like funneling resources away from smaller projects or in this case, in-house teams that are doing the QA and just funneling it all further and further into like the live service game that is making money, which sucks. (laughs) I don't know. I don't really have anything more productive to say about that. But yeah, I I know. I'm not like a, I'm not like Mm. a huge live service fan. Um, it kind of sucks to see things yeah, like this same. happen. Yeah, I, Alana, have you ever tried live service games? You know, honestly, like, I've, I've given them, like, a fair shot. And actually, so my partner played a lot of Apex at sort of the onset of the pandemic. Like, that was just sort of how he, it was honestly, like, how he and his friends would even just be like, hey, man, like, how is it? Like, you knew, you newly moved in with your girlfriend, right? You know, it was just, like, a lot of, like, that kind of thing, like, shooting the shit. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I played a few matches, but, like, frankly, I find them very stressful. Like, I am not someone who really even always loves like a, you know, real time combat game, let alone one that like the people are alive in. Like, I think I can find it just like a bit overwhelming, a bit hard to find my footing. Um, And I've played, you know, I've played some Fortnite. I've played some Overwatch. Like I've sort of just given them all a shot and kind of just ultimately decided it wasn't for me. Um, But, you know, I sort of and again, those are all just kind of like shooting games. So like, yeah. I'm yeah. sure there's something out there that would be for me. But so far, I haven't really tried to find it. Um, and I, I haven't been successful. <laughs> I think, yeah, I've I've tried to play these like maybe once. The thing that always gets me is like, I'll watch Jesse play like Overwatch or whatever. Um, and he was heavily into Apex like last year. Um, mm-hmm. But like, it gets really, you see the same backgrounds in the same stages over yes. and over again. Oh, yeah. 100%. And it like really, uh, like, bothers me i don't know why i mean obviously they can't keep making endless stages no tori yeah. that's a great that's like, a great point i don't like the aesthetics of these games yeah i don't think they look good and i don't want to be in them very much yeah, like, <laughs> they, i feel like i'm inside of like someone's comic book tv show and it's yeah. like the same five backgrounds over and over again i don't know i just like i don't mess with these but i think that's that's one way place where i think that fortnite tends to do better than some of the rest of these and like i don't know cards on the table we know i'm a fortnite evangelist here you are like, you are <laughs> I so, think is nathaniel. That, uh, so is nathaniel exactly i think fortnite does a really good job of changing up its map often enough and also adding pockets into its map that are intended for this kind of asymmetrical single player experience mm. where like you are you are expected to be if you want to get the battle pass points and the exp and all this shit you're expected to want to go to these areas that are intended for like pve almost like you as a Mm. single player interacting with npcs and doing quests and stuff which is something that like to my mind apex doesn't really have but i will also admit that like i was a real apex grinder when it first launched because i was still in college and like some of my friend like one of my roommates and i both got really into it and so we would just like sit in front of the tv and pass the controller back and forth but in the years since it has launched I think the skill ceiling has gotten so high 
that like right, right. I feel like it has passed me by because I'm not very good at shooters. So like I used to be able to get on and have fun with it, but now I'm like not good enough to even do that. And I have no, I don't want to like practice Apex Legends. <laughs> <laughs> so that's kind of where I'm at with it. Like obviously I don't want to see anything bad happen to QA workers working on the game, but yeah, it's I've kind of fallen out with it. Yeah. So we're going to pivot to the next section of this uh, episode, which we've talked, we've been talking about games that don't work and games that are made <laughs> with questionable ethics, but there are a couple games that were made pretty ethically and that do work, and those are the two games that Alana has made. Yeah. <laughs> wow, <And> incredible. <laughs> really raising the bar. Um, Alana has two games, one called Fish Tank and one called Walk On Girl, um, and they are really cool, and uh, she's gotten into game development, like, literally, like, less than a year ago, right? Like, this is pretty <laughs> Oh, yeah, new in August, you. I think. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because I remember, so, when I was doing my fellowship at Vox, which is October of 21 to October of 22, you were one of the mentors in my program, and you mentioned to us that, like, it's good to have hobbies and interests <laughs> outside of journalism, which is solid advice because I still have oh, yeah. the syndrome of, like, my job is my identity, and it's, like, gone right, to a point right. where I don't think it's healthy. But yeah, it's, like, important to not make your job your identity, and that's something you kind of drilled into us. Um, and you mentioned that you always wanted to learn how video games were made, and now you've made two of them. So <laughs> what what made you take that leap? Well, first of all, Tori, so, so flattering to say that I have made two games. Like, I, I basically, I consider what I have done so far, and this is not like imposter syndrome or whatever. <laughs> like, I consider them more sort of like overtures, right? So so I'll back up a little bit. So basically, I, I am someone who has no coding experience. Like I am I am not a woman in STEM whatsoever. Um, but I've always just been <laughs> I've always been so interested in how stuff works, you know, like, so in addition to being a writer and editor, which has been sort of my career for the last decade, I'm also a big knitter. And I know that that sounds very unrelated, but I actually think it relates so profoundly to what my brain likes to do all day. That's why I've sort of been so drawn to this. So what I ended up doing was at the end of um, August, I wound up taking two weeks off work. Just I, I was tired. You know, it, was, it had been a long summer. Um, I hadn't really taken meaningful time off in a while. And my boss was just like, yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, but, you know, I, I, would, I didn't really even feel like I wanted to travel anywhere. Like I was just kind of like, I'm tired. I want to just sort of hang out and I want to get creative again. Like <laughs> part of this was that I just like hadn't made anything really since the pandemic had begun. Like I, I really wasn't knitting or crocheting. I wasn't writing for myself in any real way. Like it felt like the only and it, actually to your point, Tori, it felt like the only creative work at all in my life was related to my job. And like that made me feel complicated. You know, I, I did not want it to be the locus of those things. I've always seen sort of my creative pursuits as being something that like mean that work doesn't have to weigh as much or like take up as much space emotionally as as it might otherwise. Um, yeah. So all of this is to say I was really missing that part of myself when I took these two weeks off last August. And I basically like from almost day one, I have to say, like, it became pretty clear to me that like I wanted this to be a creative retreat of sorts like not even that pretentious like I, I literally was like hanging out in new york like going shopping by day yeah, and then like not at doing like yeah. you're not going to a seaside cottage in like well i, I will tell you about the second reading week literature <laughs> with the girlies okay maybe yeah, you did yeah, yeah. so the first week I, I just like was hanging out in new york and i was just kind of like watching a bunch of youtube videos and like literally just like talking to friends and just kind of like okay i i, I think i think it's 
games. I think there's something about games here. And as part of that, I realized that I, I would need to do two things. I would, if I wanted to even figure out how to start, how to start figuring it out, I would have to decide on an art style to begin with. And I would have to decide on a game engine. Like those would, those would just be two things that I would have to sort of like commit to at least, you know, for the beginning stages in order yeah. to, to get off to the races. And so I spent sort of the whole first week just like researching that um, pretty quickly was like, oh, pixel art like it's you know it's it's something that's so recognizable to so many of us who grew up with with sort of the same sets of nintendo style games that uh mm -hmm. that i did certainly um it's easy and it's it's very like or i shouldn't even say it's easy it's obviously very hard to do well the same way any sort of art is but i think what i i really was drawn to about pixel art and, and i decided on this before i decided on a game engine was that like it, it was numerical, you know, and in some ways it was just like, oh, if I'm doing these characters or these uh, these items that are 16 by 16 pixels, I only have so much room to work with. And that sort of limitation, I think, allowed me to be creative. Uh, so anyway, so I'm sort of doing this. I'm muddling through. I'm deciding eventually I'll do Game Maker Studio. It's, you know, it seems easy, but like or easier than some of the others and, and transferable lessons. And then I spend the second week, uh, I, I go out to my parents who have recently moved to a seaside cottage in Rhode oh, Island. Oh, yeah, and yes. I, you, and I, you've shown I, me, and, like, yeah, pictures, yeah. yeah. Lots of so cats. They <laughs> yes, exactly. They retired, um, and they have all these cats, and my dad, like, fishes every morning at 4 oh, a.m., wow. and it's, it's just, like, a really lovely place. And so I just went out there, ended up catching the novel coronavirus, giving it to my parents, and being stuck there for an extra oh, week. God. And so during sort of that, that whole time, like, between the, um, like, the time that I was actually on vacation and sort of, you know, like taking this jubilant time off. And then when I actually had the coronavirus and had to like nap most of the time and then was confined to my bedroom the rest of the time, I really had just sort of this this focus of like, I want to at least leave, leave this house essentially with like a raw understanding of how I would approach making a game. And like, I think it was almost like, again, it was closer to figuring out how to make a sweater for the first time where it's like maybe it's not gonna like even look good or even fit a human body but I just want to know that like I Alana someone who enjoys how games are made can deconstruct it down to its raw parts and so that's huh. what I did like I sort of just gave myself essentially like a little artistic syllabus and so for the last six months or so um I've, I've been watching a ton of tutorials like YouTube has just been first and foremost like my main hub for a lot of stuff but also just like making a ton of things and so tori going back to to how you so flatteringly introduced me um the two things i've published so far uh you know the the walk on girl and swim on girl or fish tank or whatever um are are, are really just just sort of these uh, what i would call like experiments right like they're they're sort of the culmination of sets of skills and sort of little bundles of skills that i've been amassing where it's like like I, I, so the first one, Walk On Girl, which is sort of just the, the the thing I'm proud of and the thing that I've really been working on and feels like sort of the the, the seed of what will eventually become the game I want to make um, is is just this this young woman walking down, you know, a city street at night. And, you know, she she's come home after a long journey away and she's got a couple of friends who she can do various tasks for. And that's the whole game. You know, like it, it was really sort of an exercise in like, can I make cause and effect? Can I make characters? Can I make can I make dialogue? Can I invent all of this stuff from scratch, essentially? And like the thing that it does not have, though, is like it's not really fun. Like there's not like any gameplay in it. There's not like forward motion yet. Like it's not a game yet to me. And that's a good mm -hmm. thing. Like I like that it is still almost this like 
it feels closer to like a sandbox or like sort of this little place I can play. And then the other one, um, which which all is just in a fish tank and you just feed a fish a, an arbitrary amount of food until it feels like a mini game, <laughs> like a yeah. Oh, it is, it is. Yeah. And so I de- so the the sort of story behind that one is that that is a mini, and it actually now is a mini game in the larger game file. Fun fact: uh, you can actually access it from the larger game, which is cool. We love um, a game within a game. Exactly. <laughs> but I, I wanted to do that uh, as as an experiment where um, something I'd read about and, and you know, and certainly in come across in all my research for like how people even just like start making games and get better at making games was game jams, which you guys are probably mm. familiar with. But mm-hmm. if you're not, yeah. it's you know, it's right. It's just that like sometimes you'll have a weekend or a week or however much set period of time to sit down and make a game from start to finish. And they yeah. all have different rules. And, you know, sometimes folks will do it solo or do it with a team like you know, that's how like certain huge game, like I think Celeste started as a game jam. <laughs> like, So did a Hollow Knight. Sol- Hollow Knight also started really? out. Yeah. So what I decided to do, uh, I guess maybe must have been like January or something. Uh, yeah, it was early January was just to like enter my first one. You know, I'd, I'd been doing this for six months and I was like, I think what I could use right now is is a bit of a time limit, honestly, because like I'd been messing with the same file essentially off and on for six months and like you know, that's great. But but the same way I think with you guys understand, like looking at a draft or listening to a draft or sort of mm-hmm. when you've been in something so long, just like feeling yeah. like, OK, I need to step away from this because I could sort of futz with it forever otherwise. And so I decided yeah. to enter like basically what I think is like the daddy of all game jams. It's called uh, Ludum Dare or Ludum Dare. I'm actually not sure how it's huh. pronounced. Um, and, and it runs a couple times a year. And I think that the February or the January like stint was a new one. And like, I don't even know if I technically like entered. I mean, I like signed up and like submitted the game, but like people submit like real games to this thing. And this was like a oh, 30 wow. second, you know, sort of vibey screensaver. But the real goal of making that was just like, can I do this in the 48 hour span? Like, can I make all the assets from scratch? Can I code this in a way that I, where I'm not copy pasting from my other game, but actually like wow. can understand the logic and like, it almost was like giving myself a bit of a final exam in some ways. Like, yeah, maybe, this feels like yeah. a like a cramming before finals, or like you yeah. have a research paper due tomorrow. And exactly, you and so it yet thing. I think that's actually kind of part of this is I'm I'm sort of learning my own pedagogy in a way. Like I'm learning how mm-hmm. I like to learn as an adult because it's been a while since I've learned something new, yeah. and so like in some ways I'm really kind of binging it, you know, and I'm sort of just like, oh, I want to be doing this constantly. Like it is the thing I do after work, like on nights and weekends. But I also want to pace myself and make sure that it's something that like can fit yeah. in my life in a sustainable, like long term way. So I, I'm really figuring that all out right now. Um, and forgive me, I know you asked like a pretty straightforward question that I gave a very <laughs> long answer to. <laughs> no, that totally makes sense. I, I hope it provides some context for sort of how I'm thinking. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think there's there's something so universal and kind of timeless about like the the artist who can no longer see the forest through the trees when it comes to what they're creating and they go to like the seaside or the countryside and then they catch tuberculosis or COVID. (laughs) Yeah. Guys, and I gave it to my mom. Oh. Yeah, you're like, I'm making the great American video game, mom. God, it's fine. something. Ugh, no, I felt so terrible. And they have like yeah. a like a, a spiritual or like like in your case, like a pedagogical awakening. <laughs> like, how cool is it, though, that we live in a time where like 
I don't know that the the tools to do this kind of stuff yes. are democratized in such a way that you can just wake up one day and go, I want to make video games and I want to publish them online for other people Absolutely. to see and not just like stick it on a floppy disk that I can like share with people <laughs> who are within a several mile radius, you know? Yeah, it is really cool how democratized it's happened, how, how democratized it's become. What like do you have any favorite YouTuber like? channels or oh yes resources for how to make a game from scratch just for people who want to know and actually i have to tell you guys so you know i have this like very dormant sub stack that i've been kind of like fooling around with it's called button mash and and a, a number of people like you know three or four have asked me like will you write up like a list of resources and i think i'm gonna do that but so some of the folks that i am just truly obsessed with and i support some of them on patreon so i can get some behind the scenes stuff um, Sean Spaulding is a game dev, I believe, in the UK who makes just like really, really amazing and accessible Game Maker Studio videos. Um, I also really love Peyton Burnham um, and Friendly Cosmonaut is is another one. And, and she's a woman, which is honestly like really kind of lovely. Like there are not a lot of women who I see doing these these sorts of tutorials and like, you know, no shade to the men and non-binary folks making those videos like I think they're wonderful too and like it's so great to have this knowledge shared like it feels like such generosity um but there is something sort of uniquely great about like oh yeah like cool she's like she's like a chirpy girl just like me you know I really appreciate that um and so so love them and then if you're looking sort of more generally than beyond Game Maker Studio because obviously that's you know one of many engines that that folks choose to program um within i really really love game makers toolkit and this is this is a channel that i I was watching yeah and so this is what i was actually watching like early early on in my my sort Mm -hmm. of like two weeks away of um where where a lot of it is just sort of like a theory about games and and i would almost call more uh you know criticism of games and sort of how games work and and culturally why do we like certain things but there was, I believe, like a year-long series that the host put together about his own attempts to make a game with no experience whatsoever. And like, hmm. it's funny because he's he used a completely different engine than I am. He's it was a platformer, you know, it was fundamentally quite different from what I'm fooling around with, which is pretty like RPG-based, very um, a lot about like dialogue trees and a lot about character development. Uh, but even still, sort of watching his process was so so helpful for even just understanding like oh, here's what goes into this. And even if I don't choose to structure it the same way, like eventually you're going to have to figure out sound assets and art assets and, you know, systems that aren't just you replicating the same thing over and yeah. over again yeah. because it'll start to make someone's computer lag. Like it's it's been really fun to sort of learn coding as scaffolding for all of these other art forms as opposed to just like coding in a vacuum, which I think never super appealed to yeah, me. Yeah, coding as scaffolding sounds, that makes so much sense. Yeah, Oh, I mean, yeah, that's a great metaphor. It almost feels like, yeah, it feels like the magic almost where it's like, well, I made these little pictures and the way to make them move and like slam together and kiss is only if I like get the coding right. You know, it's yeah. like, it's sort of an incentive in itself. <laughs> yeah, that's a really interesting way to put it. I was like toying around with Walk On Girl and like the, I gotta say, I really like the music in that. Yeah, Are you really using, nice. are you like, cause like podcasters do this all the time too. Are you using like, uh like epidemic or like a rights free music website like yeah, how are yeah. you using your music yeah this is all so all the all the audio i use is uh creative commons uh 2.0 and there are there's a number of websites and actually these are ones that i might not know off the top of my head because they all like kind of have weird names like it'll be like freesounds.org or something and you're like yeah. is this a government organization like what's going on <laughs> yeah. here um but no but but there are some really truly amazing repositories like and again just like this is something that's like maybe corny, but like 
the generosity of the folks in this space has just like blown me away every single day. Like not yeah. just in terms of knowledge sharing, but like the number of people who are just like, hey, I have a bunch of ambient music or I, I recorded my cat 20 different ways. Like wow. here, please take it, use it in your game. Like half the time folks are like, you don't even need to credit me. And I'm like, no, 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 it's so fun especially as a solo person to be able to credit all these folks at the end and say like, and, and I will say ultimately, so cool. I think, yeah, ultimately I think I, I will end up commissioning, you know, a friend or even like my, my little brother is a musician who's really, really talented, um, like to ultimately make, you know, whatever music and possibly sound design that I want for like my product. But when I'm sort of fooling around, it's really, really fun to sort of have these assets at my disposal. Cause it's not something that I'm going to make for myself at this moment in time. Like I decided pretty quickly that like, Yes, I love the idea of making it completely from scratch, but like it's sort of the Ina Garten way, right? Like if you can't if you can't make it from scratch, Storebot is fine. And it's like, okay, yeah, that's totally true for sound. Like I I can I am allowing myself to use like soundpack.fx.cc 2.0, you know. Alana, yeah. you mentioned you mentioned all these sound packs and like the person who records their cat 20 different ways. <laughs> Are you finding these on Reddit, on forums websites, on discords? Like, where are you coming across these people? Yeah. So I think, honestly, the way I sort of found a, a lot of them are on these repositories. And a lot of the time, it'll actually be the same mm. place as the music. Like, there'll be sort of like video game sound sites. And a lot of them are even sort of these, like, you know, I've only respect, but like sort of the GeoCities ass, like, you know, like hasn't been updated, you know, since 2009, but still the copyright stuff is all up to date. Like it, it, it's really kind of interesting to sort of, you you stumble upon these veins and like this, I don't know if this will actually resonate with you guys because I'm a little bit older than you, but um, when I was growing up, you know, obviously I was so obsessed with the Sims, especially the Sims one and two were sort of like my particular era and the way you would find like downloadable shit, which like, for me, it was basically like, how can I make everyone naked? You know, like, yeah. like shit like yeah. that. It was like, <laughs> like, you would sort of just end up like going on like the family PC and like Googling yeah. stuff. And like eventually you would sort of find like a source that was just like, oh, they're really up my alley. Like there's a bunch of dresses and like curtains and shit that I really like at this place. So I'm going to bookmark it and sort of bleed it dry. And I feel like to some degree, I'm still kind of doing that like hunter gathering of resources. And certainly oh, wow. too, I will say, um, not just when it comes to sound, but when it comes to reference points, like I've never really hmm. been someone before who's been a lot of like, like, you know, I, I've, I've used like Pinterest, but I'm not like a big mood border. I'm not like, oh, these vibes, like I must capture them, um, uh, you know, the way people of your generation do. Yeah, <laughs> but, but I, I, I am definitely found... a vibes capture, unfortunately. Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> and I will say, like, working on this game or these games or sort of this pursuit of <laughs> game that I'm that I'm doing, I've found myself so much more motivated to be like taking screenshots of like weird memes or like, you know, I've been watching a lot of Hey Arnold, which I found like very inspiring for a lot of like aesthetic reasons and like capturing moments from that. It's just, it's been funny that I feel like the act of creation here is so much also about collecting and gathering and even honestly like wholesale stealing ideas from games that I love and sort of getting comfortable with that process in addition to obviously the stuff that's coming just from me. It's It's been really fun. It feels it feels collaborative, even though it's just me. You know. Yeah. When yeah. you say that you are looking at other games and stuff as inspiration and other TV shows, I when I first like clicked around on Lock On Girl, my first thought was like, "Oh, Earthbound." Yeah, like, absolutely. I thought about like the city level in Earthbound, like minus yeah. like all the crazy shit that happens, like the shadows or whatever. But like, it definitely gave me Earthbound vibes. 
Yeah. So, so the only, I mean, I've only played Mother 3 and I actually only played it after, yeah, I only played it after a friend of mine saw a bunch of the art I was doing and was like, oh, I see you're setting out to make Mother 4. And that was sort of the oh, tipping wow. point. Like so many people at that point had told me like, you have to play it. And I had it on my Vita already. Yeah. I had the fan translation um, 2.0, which like I knew was the version to play. Like I was kind of like, okay, at this point, like I need to do this the fucking favor of playing it basically, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and I, I loved it. I found, I found it obviously incredibly frustrating and difficult, but I, I just thought it was so, yeah. so moving. And like, and right, just the quality of the image and, and sort of almost the stateliness of the characters that like, you know, they're sort of mm -hmm. holding a lot, a lot of sadness. Like, obviously that's one of like the saddest yeah. games ever, if you really think about it. Yeah. Um, but, but, but sort of the simple joys and, and sort of how gestural the art was, especially with that black outline. Like I found it very, very inspiring. And so like absolutely a hundred percent. And so now I want to play the Earthbound games, which I know are actually much more sort of urban focused than Mother, which is mm -hmm. which is far more uh, rural and like Tori. But but I've certainly, you know, seen the images and like, I you know, I know Ness's whole deal. And like it, it, it's it's yeah. been so like like it's funny because I would say Undertale is a closer analog to sort of what I'm thinking in terms of like story structure and how it moves and even sort of that game's exploration of space. But obviously Undertale owes its own sort of debt to the Earthbound games that it's yeah. that that. You know, it's all and and who am I to even sort of speak of myself in the same breath of these games? You know, but it, <laughs> but it it is interesting, sort of watching these these lineages progress and realize that that's not a bad thing. In fact, it's it's how yeah. this medium and art form grows. I wanna I wanna ask a follow up question there, but before we move too far, I do want to say that like as somebody who played, I played Mother Three and Earthbound both when I was in high school. Earthbound first, mm. and then Mother Three later, and like. I, I consider myself a creative type, even though I don't like you. I've been in kind of a state of not really capital mm. C creating a lot of art right, over right. the course of the last three, four years. But playing and beating Mother 3 is definitely like something that sits in my mind as like an inflection point in the way I view media. Like the Absolutely. that was it feels like an accomplishment too. It does, like <laughs> and it's so affecting and it's so dense, which is truly incredible for a game that we are that like everyone in the US who is an English speaker predominantly who has played it has played a translation made by fans <laughs> not even right. by like the creators of the game itself so it's that's like a deeply affecting piece of art and for that to be like something that you're keeping as a nugget in your mind like when you're making stuff like I can I can totally see that I mean I think I think about that that sunflower field scene all the yes. time like that yes. to me is just like like whenever I'm working on parallax scrolling, you know, when something moves at a different speed in the background, like, like I'm sort of thinking about how effective and, and maddening that was. And like, there's, there's just so mm -hmm. many things like that. And, and it's, it's interesting. Um, the, the Into the Aether boys talk a little bit about like sort of making sure you're taking the right things from your references. And I, I, I always am interested in that sort of like making sure yeah. that what you are, what you are taking away from Dark Souls is not the fog wall, you know, necessarily, or the bonfires, oh, but might, but, you know, but but might be sort of this approach to combat and this even the sense of creativity, yeah. and and that's that is something that's very at the forefront as I think about these influences. Is like as I hunt and gather, sort of like which berries am I plucking here, and are they the right ones? Um, but forgive me, no, I know, I know, I cut you off. <laughs> yeah. No, no, you're fine. That that's what I wonder is like. When when I was a kid, and I think I've talked about this on the show before. Like I I got a my I got into video games at a very young age because I had like my dad was really into games too, and like from a young age I was like, ooh, I want to make this, and it wasn't anything in specific. Mm. It was more like this amorphous idea of like 
This is of the course. thing I have fun with, and I would like to learn how that works. And then at a slightly less young age, I learned that it was like all computers and all math, and I was like, maybe this is just <laughs> beyond me, and I kind of shelved that dream. But I wonder, like, is there is there a moment for you? Like, is there a game you were playing where you were like, shit, I want to learn how this stuff ticks. Like, mm. I want to learn how the clock gears work. You know, that's such a great question, Noah. And I wonder if it's actually more that, like, things just got closer and closer to the skin for me as time progressed. Huh. Like, as I started to think more and more about this as something that I was interested in, mm -hmm. I think as I played games, and particularly indie games, and particularly indie games that I knew to be made by small teams, I started thinking a little bit more about, like, okay, like, how is this made? Like, how how would it be that someone or five someones were able to sort of like cobble this together? And and where is it that they actually like duplicated a bunch of stuff? Where is it that they really invested their energy and their time? And so I think I started even more so than like, oh, my God, I got to uncover this particular mechanic and see how it works. It was more it was almost more like mundane than that, where it was like, what went into this? There, and, and so a game that I think is actually a great example of this is I was a teenage exocolonist. Um, I, I don't know. Did you, did you guys play this game at all or, or even know about this game? Because it no, was pretty under the radar. Yeah, yeah, I've, I've yeah. listened to several podcasts where people gush yeah, about it. No, and and I, I think I think people who like it really like it. And I will say I was one of them. Like it was honestly like a runner up to me for game of the year last year, which is like very funny because it's like this tiny little thing next to Elden Ring. Um. But but what I loved about this game, which is, I think, actually drawing a great deal from sort of the personas and even the three houses of the world where it's it's very evenly divided into sort of like, how do you spend your time slots and like friend energy mm, and, yeah. you know, yeah. skill points like it, it's a lot of sort of that intersecting along with sort of the overstory and, and time passing and sort of, you know, having to take care of these 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 bigger things going on. And I was just, you know, I, I knew it was made by a pretty small team. I knew it was written entirely by one person, um, which is actually crazy because it is 600,000 words long in a script, wow. which is like, oh my God, like so truly crazy. Um, but that that was like a moment long before I started making my own stuff or, or maybe I guess maybe it's sort of aligned when I when I had started like fussing around. But before I'd really started taking it seriously where I was kind of like not like, oh, I could do this myself because obviously that's not the case, but like oh, I see why this works. And like, I know for a fact that something that I am good at is X, Y, and Z thing that is also part of why this is good. And so why don't I just like pull out that small nugget and try and like fool around with that? And like, that kind of is where it where it lives more so than anything else. Um, but but there are certain things too, where like, like I know for a fact that this game that I am working on and like that that can mean a lot of things. It will probably change yeah, for say, many, I, many I times. I wanted you to yeah. talk a little bit about like, ooh, yeah, can yeah, you yeah. tell us about this game you're working on? Yeah. actually, no, currently so embargoed. No, oh God, no. And here's the thing, like what I've realized too with game development um, is like the game just becomes so many different things over the course of it to the point where it's like, is this the same thing? Like if this were writing, I wouldn't consider this the same draft because it's just like a totally different story, but like it is, you know, like it, it is still the same thing. But anyway, so so a lot of what you saw in Walk On Girl, like I'm, I'm not using any of those assets again, just because like they're actually really small, like like for a lot of reasons, I'm I'm rebuilding stuff from scratch. But like the mechanics are not dissimilar, like a lot of it will be, you know, four uh, four arrow keys space bar to interact with stuff like, you know, it's a branching dialogue system, but it's pretty simple because I'm doing it all by hand. Like like, you know, when you do one thing or acquire one thing, another check or you know, minus sort of happens like like it's a lot of just sort of like pretty simple RPG type mechanics. But I'm very, very interested in this idea of um, of reunions. And so what I've sort of been fooling around with for the last like few weeks in particular, but but certainly the last couple months 
um, has been this idea of of people who are maybe 27, 28, who graduated from college five years previously and have returned to campus for their five year reunion. Um, and and I know I'm really interested in time skips, like which obviously, you know, you oh guys would know. Oh my God, know. I like, fucking uh, love a time skip. I love a time <laughs> skip and I'm very interested in sort of what can happen in one and even sort of like what you do with one as a game designer. Like, do you have your characters remember the skip? Do you have them not remember? Like, like what happens within that time? And, and I, I know that I have sort of a motivating, I have a couple like, energizing little plot points here like i know for example that like it's a group of five friends um I, I don't know if they will still be friends by the sort of current day of the game that's something i'm sort of working out but they were certainly friends back in the in the previous time um i i i i'm gonna i think i'm gonna have one of them you know have lost a close friend or lost a partner or someone close to them sort of in the run-up to the five years and maybe some of the others reacting maybe by turning away from them, some of them reacting by turning toward them. Like I'm interested in sort of how people react to the different ways we grow up and the different way we experience stimuli. Um, but none of that's very mm. fun, right? Like like that's the situation, yeah. but it's not the story yet. Like it's not the motivating thing. I don't yet know, like, I don't know if there's combat. Like I don't think there is because like it doesn't really make sense thematically, but like then the question becomes like, well, what are they doing? Like, what is the, how does someone level hmm. up? How does someone gain progress? Like, why would someone want to thrust themselves through this narrative? And like, those are all questions. Like, I, I don't know how to make a game fun yet. <laughs> and like, that to me is such a like central thing here. But I'm not, you know, in some moments it's very daunting. It's like, well, fuck, I've been spending six months on this and I still don't have like the core of it to show yet. But on the other hand, it's sort of like, that is something that I think will come. And I think that I sort of need to be patient about and, and sort of let, reveal itself to me and also not be scared to sort of seize when it when it starts to to seem like okay like hey maybe i do want the game to be this i'm gonna have to follow this road for a little while um so that's sort of that's sort of where i'm at is a little bit of like tiny maybe a tiny tiny dash of persona you know like a, a little little hint <laughs> yeah. of, of mother three and like a whole lot of hey arnold and we'll see what I, I gotta say i i'm yeah. incredibly excited about this because like yes i love a like takes place in high school JRPG. Sorry, I shouldn't say that. Um, yeah. JRPGs. Like, we, we just gotta bleep it out. Um, I, <laughs> but it's super cool to see games that talk about like, adulthood past yeah. young adulthood, because I feel like a That's lot of really media, it's like you're either in college or you're like the the main character's mom. Yeah, and, Exactly. Yeah. Like, there is lots of years between then for lots of people and i'm beginning to see like this is like a i don't know how self-centered this is to say but i'm beginning to see like less of myself in youth centered media like i'm no longer Absolutely. watching tv shows that take place in high school except maybe yeah. euphoria sometimes but that's just like that's different um and i'm like that's its oh, own yeah. animal <laughs> yeah that's, that's that's just like a fever dream honestly like I'm no longer watching shows that take place in high school and college. But I'm no, but I'm not watching these shows that are geared towards like thirty and forty something moms, right? Having kids, yeah. And I'm just no, that's like, actually that's that's something that's very important to me. Here is yeah. is that is this space in my life, honestly? Like, because you know, I'm I'm 32 and I completely agree. Like, I don't see a lot of it, and a lot of it is pretty dire, honestly. Where it's just like, oh man those people in their 20s and 30s sure are washed up. Like, I, I don't know that video games yeah. are like so, so flattering to our particular demographic, but also just because like, I think that it's such an interesting time. Like, it's almost less so like representation matters and more like I trust my brain so much more now, but the consequences of my actions also feel more heightened in some ways. And like, 
this is going to sound really sad, but I actually think it's really interesting that like, I feel like I've maybe felt all the feelings I'm ever going to feel in my life to some degree. And now it's just a matter of intensity and sort of going back to that mm. time, sort of in college when maybe you're first experiencing like true heartbreak, true grief, mm-hmm. true sense of rejection. Like th- those are, and, and you know, I, obviously those come at different times for different folks. And like, we're talking a certain degree of privilege here in the first place. If we're talking college, if we're talking, you know, sort of life, yeah. life, not tur- turning on you until later in life. Like I do want to be sort of cognizant of that as I work as well, but there's many different ways to live. Um, but to that end, like, I don't know, I'm, I'm just sort of interested in, in this idea of like the choices you make and, and, you know, I think some can matter a great deal and some end up mattering less than you would think they do. And, and what happens when you, I will say that is one other element here. I'm very interested in that might be way too far out of my like depth to actually be able to execute, but I'm very interested in the idea of replayability and like, is it possible to sort of like maybe do the game from each of these characters perspectives or even just two characters perspectives. And I think like everything I read, like tells me that already what I'm thinking of is probably too big in terms of scope. Like I, I, I don't know that ultimately this will be like the first or even like fifth game that I end up actually publishing when like I hit, you know, real publish on the Steam store, which hopefully will happen in the next like year or so. Um, I, I have a lot of other little ideas, but I do see this almost as like it's the novel, right? Well, well, maybe I'll work on some short stories in the meantime to like hone the craft. Like I think this the the thing that this is, whether it take place at a college reunion or in an office building or on the streets of New York or whatever, like I, I, I have a few things that I know I want this to be. And I think it will like live in that container, if that makes sense. Yeah. Damn. So, yeah. One last interview question um, <laughs> for folks who do want to try out your games. Where can they find them? Oh, yeah. I think it's just like itch.io slash Alana Bean. That's my like handle <laughs> for most things apart from my Twitter handle, um, which is just Alana. So you can you can find me. My stuff is like pretty easy to find cool. online. And we'll and we'll drop a link down in the description, too, for people who are Amazing. interested in that and want to check it out. Yeah. That kind of thing. But now that was a lot about your games, Alana. I want to talk a little bit more about what <laughs> games the three of us have been playing the past couple of weeks or so. Hell yeah. Tori, do you want to go first? Uh, you, yeah. I want to hear about where you're at in Persona 5. <laughs> This has yeah. been like oh, this yeah. is like episode six of me talking about Persona Five and the what like we're playing segment. If this you happens to, take, to be like, once a year. This is so. This is the sixtieth episode of this podcast. If you were to take every episode, I bet oh my like God, more than half of thank you. I bet thank more you. than half the episodes of our podcast you'd be playing a Shin Megami Tensei. <laughs> yeah, and <laughs> as so it there, should be, <laughs> as it should be. Um, yeah, so I. I have gotten to the part of Persona 5 Royal where, like, shit has gotten, like, incredibly real. Um, which is to say, I got to- I got past the, like, fake suicide plot, um, and I'm, like, towards the end of Shido's palace. Mm-hmm. Um, I just want to say Shido's palace is the worst palace. Mm-hmm. It yeah, is not great. too large. Yeah. Uh, you're, like, a mouse half the time. I don't that, enjoy those that. Those puzzles are really irritating, yeah. I- oh. <sighs> God, it's so irritating. And, like, also the scaling of difficulty in this dungeon is so weird. Because you roll yeah. up to this dungeon, like, level 48, mm. and these you, you just walk up to an enemy that, like, isn't even on, like, an on-fire enemy. Just, like, a generic enemy, and it'll be, like, level 65. And I'm like, what in the <laughs> yeah. hell? Um, I get that they're trying to, like, get you, like, this is a great grind zone before, like, the you know, I, I get it. Mm-hmm. But especially, it's like, really especially in a series with that like classically has very mindful difficulty jumps. Like the Shin Megami right, Tensei right. games are hard. They are difficult yeah. games. Yes. But like Nocturne 4, even the Personas have like 
like uh, difficulty jumps that make sense and that punish the player for not learning the right lessons. It's like you yeah, get yeah, into yeah, those yeah, boss totally. fights that are like, you need to know how to use status ailment abilities yeah. or you're <laughs> fucked and you're never going to get yeah. past this. Whereas this this part of this game just feels like, haha, we just kicked the levels up by 20. Go fuck yourself, mm. you know? Right. It's like vic- it's like Victory Road in Pokemon. Yeah, like like yeah, sort of yeah. just like, okay, like it's dark and hard to heal in here. Like this is annoying. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, so that's that's where I am with this one. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I am excited to like be done with this dungeon because I, <laughs> I got to the part of the game where it's like, oh shit, like I got some people who are like rank seven and I'm like, mm. oh man, I just need like, give me two weeks. Yeah. Right, like, right. We'll, I can we'll, be, we'll be dating out. by the end. Yeah. <laughs> I have like a catchy Makoto Ugh. and Sojuro at like eight. I'm like, oh, wow. oh my yeah. God. Those like, are important. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the catchy one is interesting because that one's locked, right? Until. Yeah. So yeah. basically I was able to get. I think you're locked at eight for a while, aren't you? Until... I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. You're... I was locked at eight and I like I had Jesse look up things about the royal social link so I wouldn't like totally spoil myself. I think that's exactly right. Yeah. Um, and so he was like, you can't access more than rank mm-hmm. eight up until a cer- certain day, like in December or something like that. Yeah. I know it's it's November seventeenth. I'm a I'm a freak. I'm obsessed with this game. <laughs> oh my <Yeah>. god. <laughs> oh my god. December seventeenth, thank you. Yeah, it was that and November. Wow. So it was also that, and um, I'm also doing like the hard thing of like I want to date Kazumi, and in order to date Kazumi, uh, you have to like get a catchy to like a nine, and you have to get the the therapist oh, to weird. a nine or something. So I maxed out my therapist, which Good. I just want to say is another funny thing about Royal. Royal has these scenes where you watch every single member of your party go to therapy in between dungeons. Hmm. And be like variously bad at attending therapy. <laughs> yeah, and be really bad at knowing what to do in therapy. Like Ryuji yeah. especially is just like, you got snacks? Like, oh, that's funny. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's definitely not my favorite part of the game, but I'm getting through it. The other thing I was thinking about is like Shido as the like like ubermensch antagonist of this game i don't know how uh, i don't know how compelling it is Mm -hmm. to have one guy be connected to everyone's problems like it feels like Mm -hmm. a it feels like the click hole article it's like this man ruined five (laughs) people's lives in very separate and specific ways right like he has his hand in so many pots i'm like how did you possibly fuck up joker's life and also, like, be in cahoots with Haru's dead dad. And also, right, like, right. take money from Madaram. It's like, how do you... Like, I'm sorry. <laughs> well, what I will say is, like, get to the end of the game. There, There is some, there, there is some like, connective tissue, even if it's clunky. Um, mm-hmm. But, like, I, I also think, too, that, like, to your point, Tori, like, it's such an elegant game in so many ways that the, the moments when it's not, like, stand out very, very yeah. heavily. And, and I will say, uh, when, when we get to me, I actually think that part of my uh, what I'm playing segment will be watching my boyfriend play Persona 5 Royal because he's playing. This is his first ever JRPG, Shin Megami oh, wow. Tensei game, like, what, like, has never played a game like this before and is, like, 25 hours in and really enjoying it. And it's so fascinating to watch someone play this game for the first time and also get oh, to like wow. see yeah. the early game again for the first time in a while because like I haven't done a you know I've, I've played it I think twice all the way through maybe even three times which is crazy but like I, I haven't I don't think in at least a year so like 
I don't know. Yeah. It's almost like catching up on like an old favorite TV show, except I'm also like backseat yeah. driving as he's like yeah, going through mementos. <laughs> yeah, I could tell you. Yeah, there's games like that that you just play like once a year and it's like a little mm-hmm. recap. Mm-hmm. I mean, Ocarina of Time was that for me for several yeah, years yeah, 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 oh, yeah. growing up. So. It's, it's funny before we move on, Tori, I, I do think it's funny that you call out specifically the antagonists of Persona 5 mm-hmm. because... It's it's like they it's one of those things where it's like they really felt like they were doing something by making him like right. the prime minister of Japan. But it is also oh, like yeah. the most baby brained understanding of like how politics totally. and about evil. <laughs> e- evil. Yeah, it, really anything, because it's like it's that kind of thinking that's like there is I think of it like Harry Potter thinking where it's like there are no structural mm-hmm. issues. The problem is totally. this one guy. And if we can take right. out yeah. this one guy Absolutely. and or the god that might be telling him to do bad stuff, then right. all the structural <laughs> I, problems go away. This game is like, it, uh, I'm not, it doesn't, you can't even call it like like neoliberal or centrist. Or, yeah. It's just like, it tries to be oh, deep I think it's a. I mean, Tori, I think oh, it is a oh. lower. I think it is a lowercase c conservative game. Like yes. it is about yes, like, I it think is. It like, is. Like, like I don't actually mean that. I don't mean it's right wing. I mean that it's just like it is about preserving status yeah. quo like a in a lot of fantasy. ways. Yeah. Like, like it is. It is not about saying we are fixing the problems of the world. Is it about saying it's about saying we are going to return to the ideal of the world because we have yeah. fixed sort of the external forces? Like, like yeah, I yeah. think that this is this game has some pretty regressive like political structure at its heart honestly <laughs> but i love it <laughs> and for a game where the main thrust of how you interact with like quote unquote bad guys in this game is by going into their hearts and like expunging yeah. the evil from it it right. is it is so it's frustrating like, that it's like religious i don't it know is, but it it's totally, also it's yeah. also no, so absolutely. frustrating you're converting people <laughs> yeah ways. you are like, yeah. you are and I just, I was thinking about this because, like, I was playing it and uh, I maxed out Mishima's Link, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. I'm really glad I did because uh, you get into a bit of a beef with him and you got to, like, go into <laughs> Mementos and, like, threaten him, uh, but not actually change his heart. And he starts giving you more Mementos quests and starts talking to you more. And he's like, could the Phantom Thieves actually change the world? Because you have to go and individually change everyone's heart and i was thinking i'm like yeah what we're doing is so individualist right like we can't like uh, we can't like go into mementos and like beat up every racist yeah you know what right. i mean it's like, <laughs> like the... that's right it's it's not meta. scalable yeah <laughs> it's like the mr beast helps 100 blind people see of yeah life. it literally feels like that i'm no, like you're absolutely right oh my god <laughs> Yeah, I'm like, who do I need to beat up to lower the price of insulin in Mementos? Like, it just doesn't work you like to, that. You go to and... Mementos and it's like the Eli Lilly CEO and it's like, all right, motherfucker. Let's <laughs> <laughs> fucking throw it down. Yeah, so but the, the thing that makes it tolerable to me is that, like, it's a bunch of 17-year-olds who are really, like, right. high off their own supply and, like, very understandably are, like, traumatized, which is how they ended yeah. up in The Phantom Thieves. So when I stopped thinking of the Phantom Thieves as like a political or social justice force and mm-hmm. more as like a bunch of kids lashing out, yeah. I was like, this makes sense. I fuck with this. No, you're absolutely right. And sort of, Tori, to that point, like, I think the first two sort of dungeons worth of story in that game are so moving and yeah. make so oh, much God, sense. So like, good. Again, it's recency bias because like I'm so n- near to Brendan playing this. Like he just beat the Matarame dungeon. But like, 
those as villains make such amazing sense to me. And and to your point that it's kind of a bummer where it's like, and Shido was pulling the strings the whole time. It's like, it's actually so much more interesting that Kemoshida is just like a perv and that Madarame is like a craven artist. And like, those are just yeah. very reasonable archetypes for evil adults to be. And like the scale of their damage to the psyches of the Phantom Thieves and sort of their immediate environs feels proportional to then what the Phantom Thieves are able to enact on them. And then I yeah. think the game feels less and less proportional as it escalates. Cause like right now, Brendan's on the, um, like he's on the Makoto sort of quest line leading up to what, you know, like, and I That's was like, baby, it's, favorite. Yeah. I, I was just about to say, I was like, baby, don't expect too much from this. Like it, it he, cause he was like, you know, it's that, it's that whole plot line where it's like kids are being made to carry drugs for the mafia in downtown Shibuya. And he kept kind of turning to me and being like, oh, is this the main plot? Like, oh, I didn't realize that like this was propelling me to like the third dungeon. I'm like, no, it totally nice makes try. sense. Like, like, why would it, you know, be after sort of the stakes that we've seen previously? Like, why is yeah. the student council president trying to take down the mafia at all? Yeah. And so I think to, yeah. to your point, like there's there's just sort of that sense of like, Oh, what they're capable of doing and sort of what they're attempting to do is is so outsized with with sort of the scale of the enemies and the evil they're being confronted with. Yeah. That it starts to feel a little silly in some ways. Yeah, it does. I that dungeon felt the most like misguided to me, honestly, mm -hmm. because you're just like that whole dungeon is about preserving your, your like uh, reputation because that guy has like bad pictures of you. Right. And, and it's like, why wouldn't just you just like, be like, hey, that was obviously not me drinking with this like incredibly creepy older guy. Do you believe me? Yes. Yeah. Great. And the thing like, is, it's like, it's like Makoto <laughs> actually has like a cool backstory and like an interesting family right. dynamic yeah. with Sai and like trauma from how her dad died. That's my question is like, don't you think Sai like, would instantly just be like, fuck you, dude. No, like that's not what happened here. You're also arrested, definitely. Like, like I just don't see this as the problem that it becomes. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah they, I like Makoto, but the way she's, like, introduced yeah. in that is very, like... Yeah, um, no, I, I, I don't think I, she's used perfectly as a character, frankly. And even, like, yeah, her, um, her confidants with Joker being so hard to level up that they're, like, unlocked behind, I think it's knowledge, maybe? No, it's behind yeah. charm. It's, yeah. it's, uh, it's charm. You really, have to max oh, out charm to get past, like, so, six with her. It's so hard to do. Like, I don't think I did yeah. it the first time I played. I think I don't, I didn't do it until New Game Plus. And like, that's a bummer mm. that you sort of don't get good Makoto content unless you like really, really work for it in a way that it's just so much easier to get with some of the other characters. Yeah, I, I am, I'm actively trying to work for it. And yeah, it's, her, her character is interesting. I just wish it was like yeah. applied yeah. differently. Yeah. Um, but yeah, besides that, I have been thinking about like what I'm going to play next after this game, which maybe I shouldn't be like, <laughs> I'm like 70 hours in and I'm like, yeah, I think I'm like, I definitely am towards the end, but I know Royale's got like a bunch of I shit you, at the end. I think you might have like 30 more hours left, Tori. <laughs> yeah. I think yeah, you might exactly. be two thirds of the way uh, through the game. Yeah. That's how it feels. Yeah. But I'm debating whether I should play Minished Cap. Uh, Legend of Zelda Minish Cap next, or Metroid Prime Remastered. Ooh. Um, so something that is wrong. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Those are both great picks. So. The other thing I wanted to bring up to you two guys is have either of you uh, gotten or have been interested in Octopath Traveler 2? Okay, I am so interested in it, hearing <laughs> how good people think it yeah. is. I, because yes. I have to tell you, so I tried I tried pretty hard to play Octopath Traveler. Oh, wow. One, okay. I suppose. Like, I, I, I played for probably, like, four hours. Like, like, a respectable amount of time to dump into a game, and just, like, it never clicked for me. It, like, yeah. the writing felt so clunky. I couldn't get into the characters. Like, the gameplay was obviously fun, but, like, it just, like, 
I also think I played it after having played Three Houses and like sort of wanted mm. that maybe more so than I could admit to myself. Like wh whatever it was, like Octopath Traveler itself never appealed to me. And like hearing about how good the story is and like how fun the mechanics are, yeah. like I, I am absolutely going to buy two. I'm I'm actually really excited about it. Yeah, Octo I played the demo for Octopath Traveler one and I my the thoughts I had coming away from the demo ended mm -hmm. up being kind of confirmed by a lot of the reviews I read that it almost felt mm -hmm. like more of a proof of concept than anything. Yes, that it was 100%. like hundred percent. The graphics are incredible. The multi path yes. thing is interesting. So so cool, yeah. If, but it doesn't land exactly yeah. if not fully formed. So it was a lot of like neat mm -hmm. concepts that didn't really go anywhere. And yeah, what I've read so far of this new one is that like they really follow through on a lot of that. So Absolutely. I don't know. Well, I don't know. I think that might be my next game, Tori. Like after I after I finish finish or decide I am done with Fire Emblem Engage, whichever comes first. And I, I think I, I think I have a prediction. Um, I, I think I might play Octopath. Yeah, next. let's yeah. let's talk about what you've been yeah, playing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's I mean that's basically all I've been playing. Because I, I will say um, the only other thing I'll say about my my game developer journey is that like it has really pretty severely cut into my game playing time, which is totally fine. Like in a lot of ways, it actually feels like playing a game in itself, like like learning how to sort of put this stuff together. Mm -hmm. But all that is to say, like, I, I don't think I'm um, I don't think I'm going to hit nearly as many games this year <laughs> as I did in the first half of last year. Um, But no, so pr I've, I've been pretty much entirely playing Fire Emblem Engage. Um, I got it, you know, I think the day it came out and I've been playing pretty like faithfully, but not obsessively ever since. Um, And, and I think I, I have like sort of the same opinions as a lot of people, which is just like the story and characters are so bad as to be insulting. And like, I skip every single cutscene and support. Like I actually can't oh do it. God. Like, like I find it so cringe inducing. And so like my friend, St oh yeah, Steven, who's on Into the Aether, mm. we were talking about it. He was like, it, it feels like they were written by an AI. Oh, like, like they have no, like they have no, nothing in common. Like, all of the fucking supports are about tea. Like, like you, you just oh, don't God. want that to happen. So, so I just skip through all of them. But all of that aside, guys, like it is so much fun. It really is just oh, wow. like they cracked the Fire Emblem code here in, in such a major way. Mm -hmm. We're just like the, the the battles are just perfect. They're perfect. Like I, I love the class system. I love the weapons. I love the way the battles work. I love all the maps, which is like you know, a huge departure, obviously, from Three Houses, which was yeah. very, you know, one note in terms of battle maps, I thought. Like, just even, like, their approach to strategy is so interesting. Like, you will fight, like, like I'm playing on hard mode, which is, you know, the middle mode. I'm not even playing up to maddening. And it is so, so difficult. Like, I have to wow. replay, like, skirmish battles with bandits, and I love that. Um, and so, like, I mean, I have so many criticisms of this game and, like, wouldn't really recommend it to, like, anyone who, I, who wasn't <laughs> me, you know? But, like, it's really just hitting the spot and, like, I know I've hmm. passed 50 hours in it and like every night usually before bed I'll like do a couple of battles and it's almost like playing a game of chess or something you know and, like it scratches mm -hmm. like a nice logic yeah. itch in my brain um, <laughs> oh my god that but, just reminded me like yeah. I don't know about you but I have like older family members who will play like games of chess on their phone and I'm like oh yeah. it's just fire emblem <laughs> yeah it's just fire emblem <laughs> oh yeah. Tor I am your older family members Tori I play cribbage on my phone on this like incredibly Let's janky go. free app like <laughs> wow I love that as somebody who was so high on Three Houses, did you, like, I'm sure you read and heard, because the oh, review yeah. embargo broke before you got the game, that, like, the main appeal was the tactics. But I, I know that's, like, having talked to you previously about this, that's not mm -hmm. what brought you to Three Houses. Like, were you expecting you know, to like this as much me... as you were? 
it's not what brought me, but it is what kept me. Like, I don't think that I would have oh, okay. put 400 hours into three houses <laughs> if it weren't for the battles, like straight up, yeah. you know, like no matter how much I liked the characters and the support, like the real sort of what I talk about in my own games, like the real thing that just like hooks you and pulls you through and makes you want to do more is the prospect of fighting that next battle. Mm -hmm. Right. And like, like, so I think I, I was actually pretty primed to like accept that as the case here, sort of also, frankly, because like I have played a lot of Fire Emblem games at this point, like after three houses, I went back to play Awakening and Fates and Echoes and like a bunch of mm. stuff. And like all the stories are really, really bad. Like, like, like this actually feels closer to a return to form and three houses feels closer to the aberration rather than vice versa. And like, yeah. of course, like a huge, huge part of me wanted and still wants, you know, the team to be focusing on on that stuff. And I'm just like, like I was I was talking to my friend Ode about this because she she loved Engage too and she she loved um Three Houses and she's still sort of new to gaming and and I was talking to her and I was just like if this game were good it would be so good like like if, if, they, if they like if they had like Three Houses level even just characters like I mean frankly the Three Houses plot like has major holes in it too like yeah. you can't even hold that thing up to yeah. the light and be like oh yeah. yeah shiny like great narrative there guys but like like. I think if they even had like 10 characters who were halfway as charming as any of the three houses characters, it would have like truly moved the needle on this game. And I have to imagine that that's like a combination that is in the pipeline somewhere at Insys HQ. Like maybe that's naive of me, but like they gotta, gotta at some point, like try and mm -hmm. marry those two things. There can't like three houses sold too well for it to be the last yeah. of its kind, quite yeah. frankly, like, mm -hmm. like to be craven about it. Like there's no way they're not, thinking about what Three Houses 2 is, and my only hope is that they, like, take a lot of the lessons they learn uh, from from making, you know, Engage to apply it. It's almost, it actually kind of is the Shin Megami Tensei persona <laughs> divide to me a little bit, you know, where it's like, huh. this to me is the Shin Megami Tensei. I mean, it's that's insulting to Shin Megami Tensei, but, like, it's all about the, <laughs> it's all about the tactics. It's all, like, yeah. you know, the, not, not Hibino, like, I don't really give a shit about, frankly, in, in Shin, Shin Megami Tensei, but Did I care deeply about... to beating that game? Nope. I The last That's time I, I, like, I never played another minute after, like, talking to you guys, but I played 95 hours. I God. actually literally think I could beat that game, like, tomorrow if I had to. <laughs> I think you've gleaned what yeah. you've gleaned yeah. from that game. Totally. Some, yeah, totally, some games totally. you reach a point where you're like, I'm good. I don't need to, I don't need to roll yeah. credits. I'm good. No, I, I got it. it. I get it. <laughs> but no, that's, that's kind of what I've been focusing on lately. How about you, Noah? I, I'm glad you went first because what I've been playing is in conversation with what you've been playing. I, I mentioned in a recent episode that like I, I was moving around too much one weekend for like a long weekend. We left the house and I really wanted to keep playing Fire Emblem. So what I started playing was Echoes Shadows of Valentia on my mm. 3DS. I am, nice. as of the time of recording, at the final boss fight. By the time this episode oh comes out, I will have beaten the game, I assume. I think... Now, I had never played Shadows of Valentia. Like, when I first got it on my 3DS, I played, like, the first couple hours of it just to kind of, like, get mm -hmm. a feel for it. Um, I've gathered from reading some stuff about it online that people think the graphical style is really ugly. But I talked a bit about this last huh. week. Like, Shadows of Valentia is the last 3DS Fire Emblem game. And like all late-in-the-game uh, games that come out on, like, <laughs> Nintendo devices, especially, I think of, like... They are pulling all the juice out of the 3DS in a way that is like right. insane to see. Like there are there are areas where you're walking around in full 3D that I'm looking at and thinking like some of this over the shoulder stuff looks as good if not better than like Shin Megami Tensei 4 Apocalypse, which is nuts to me that a Fire Emblem game is pulling that off. And 
like I think you said that like a lot of the Fire Emblem games have bad stories and I would agree that the story of Shadows of Valentia which you mentioned it have you played this one no I didn't play this one oh, I played the other one interesting okay um, yeah Shadows of Valentia what's it called I don't even remember what it's called at this point because this was all such a fugue state <laughs> this is Fire Emblem Echoes colon Shadows of Valentia yeah and it's the remake of Fire Emblem Gaiden from the NES and got it, it, got it, got it. it has the problem that the other Fire Emblem NES remake has where they they revamped the graphics it looks beautiful they added new characters and they remade the character portraits and they've done all this cool stuff graphically but gameplay wise it brought too much of the nes game forward and so mm -hmm. it is overly simplistic there's no weapon triangle a lot of the battles do feel like run everybody towards the other side and ram your heads <laughs> against each other but the thing that so it's funny to hear like the thing bringing you back to engage is the tactics Whereas the tactics for me in this game are mostly turn off your brain and like, okay, who do I need to prioritize <laughs> leveling up this battle? Because, right, exactly. And I'm playing People it on Pokemon. casual because it, it has like random encounter battles, basically. Mm. So it's like when you're going through these, you're, you go through these dungeons, basically, that have third person exploration and then you get into random encounter battles and like people will die on my team in those battles <laughs> just because like I place them badly. And I'm thinking like, if I were actually like losing, losing these people and having to restart my game because a character I like died at battle eight in the middle of a three floor <laughs> dungeon, like I don't know what the fuck I would do. So I I would encourage anybody who plays this one to stay on casual and also because like the tactics are not what's keeping me here. What's keeping me here is like the pretty mid story, which reminds me a lot of what we were saying with Persona 5 in the way that it's like. These two countries, they are, they are divided by a border, and they were they were formed and originally ruled by the divine dragons. And the divine dragons, like e the individual divine right, dragons right, right, right. for these countries, give them power and give them like some degree of uh, spirituality. And all of a sudden, the more warlike of the two nations invades the other, and oh my god, it's war. And so. I don't really want to spoil huge aspects of the story, but then you later find out that like, oh, maybe the villain wasn't so bad after all for really contrived <laughs> reasons. And it's like some of the dumbest shit, but like the main thrust is this love story between the two protagonists who are like, mm. you play as them briefly together at the beginning and then they are separated. And then the entire game is like the world map, but you have your two separate armies with your two separate mm. protagonists. And now at the final battle, I've got both protagonists and both of their armies full of units together. And it's like, is the final boss fight just we're all running towards the really strong guy and fighting a bunch of irritatingly strong grunts in our way? Yes. Is it also like massively satisfying to see both Alm and Celica's armies like in the same map together <laughs> and then be able to have like my little chibi sprite units of almond celica next to each other like make them kiss like it's very i don't know it's it's shocking to me that like this game exists as a fire emblem game where the main thrust of it is like you want these two characters to be in love and they love each other even though that like most of the fire emblem stories are just like you have to make it back to the kingdom and kill the dragon and that kind of shit so it's it's kind of fascinating and it's kind of fascinating to me that like I've talked a bit about this on the show before too that like when they named this game Fire Emblem Echoes 
it kind of made people think they were going to make more of these, you know, that like mm. Shadows of Valentia was not going to be the last Echoes game. And right, right. in true Nintendo fashion, we have not gotten a single other Fire Emblem Echoes game since then. <laughs> and I don't know if that's because this game came out in like 2016 or 17, so it sold really bad, or there's just no stomach for remaking other Fire Emblem games at the moment when they can be making new stuff like Three Houses and whatnot, but... I think it's a really interesting animal in terms of the Fire Emblem series. That's kind of all I've really been playing. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I, uh, I've I've kind of just been like ramming hours into this game because I'm like determined to beat it at this point. But that's kind of I'm also on the Fire Emblem train, just a completely different nice. Fire Emblem. I mean, nothing nothing can get your hooks get its hooks in you like a Persona or a Fire Emblem game. Like I feel yeah, like we're all yeah, very yeah. susceptible even, to that. <laughs> even if the supports are as one note as they can possibly be, exactly. something about these games just has a way of getting its hooks in you. All right, I think that's pretty much it. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, first, Alana, thank you so much for coming in back and talking to us about game development. It was really cool to kind of hear that update and talk to you a little bit. Thank you guys so, so much for having me on and letting me talk about, you know, wax poetic, I should say, about, about <laughs> so many things. I always love talking to you guys and hearing all of your wonderful insights. So really appreciate it. Aw, thank you so much for coming back on. I was like, I'm so happy to have you back on. You, you mentioned where people can find you on Itch. Is there any other social media platform that you would like people to find you? Yeah, I mean, in in the meantime, you can still find me on Twitter. Um, it's just at, it's just at Alana. What about you, Tori? Where are you on the internet? You can still find me on Twitter at Tori underscore as underscore always. Likewise, Noah underscore Hertz spelled H U R T S. The podcast is on Twitter at press underscore start pod, and we're on Tumblr at press hyphen start pod. You can email us if you want to wax poetic in our inbox about the great American video game or whatever Fire Emblem game is your favorite at heypressstart at gmail.com. Our intro and outro music are from the artist Geist, and you can listen to more of their stuff at noahgeist.bandcamp.com. Our show art is by Kai at Wisp Graphics. And if you like the show and you made it all the way here to the end, leave a review on the podcast platform of your choice because I've been told that that helps other people find the show. Other than that, I think that's all we've got. Again, Alana, thank you. Does anybody have any uh, closing thoughts here? <laughs> you should uh, run out and get a game that really sinks its teeth into you. Yeah, I think that is go. the moral. Yeah, like stop playing games that are mid. Like play yeah. games, play games that take that over you... your life. Yes, <laughs> that take over your life and inspire you to learn a new craft. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> thank you for listening. <laughs> <laughs>